Happy, happy Sabbath, happy day. It is the last Sabbath of the year. We are delighted again. I find myself using that word a lot because it expresses how we truly feel. The fact that you've decided to share in the hour of your time week after week after week over these past 52 Sabbaths is just incredible. And so we just want to thank you at the end of the year. We want to tell you that we've got uh, a lot of prayers, a lot of plans for the next year. And we hope that you join us and give us another 52 weeks as we go forward. We want to just thank you, the viewers. I want to thank Pauline and Edwin in our control room, Zach, that does a lot of our editing. Those are uh, the faces behind the camera that you almost never see, as always, my colleague, uh, my co-host Joey O, who is off on vacation today and has left us holding down the fort here. We want to thank uh, him as well. And above all, we just want to thank God because without uh, God's presence, it truly, truly is impossible to do this. We've got a special co-host that I'll introduce to you in a moment. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to go ahead and pray. God, thank you so much for a year that closes. And as we reflect upon this year, upon our mission and our calling, uh, we just want to ask that you guide us with your presence. As we think about what we've done and where we've gone in 2023 and where you would have us go in 2024 as your sons, as your daughters, as your people, we pray that you continue to move in and through us. For we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. I've got my favorite pastor on staff here at Loma Linda University Church. It is particularly apropos that we invite her as we've been talking uh, this quarter about missions. And instead of going day by day, text by text, as we typically do, I thought it would be helpful for us, yes, to delve in a little uh, to the text uh, that uh, the lesson points us to, but also just to talk about what our mission is, what our final mission is, um, and just to reflect a bit on what uh, mission call uh, we've had during the past year, some of our mission goals that we were able to accomplish thanks to you, and also some of our dreams and some of our plans for 2024. So uh, with that in mind, uh, Linda, how are you? Welcome. How was your Christmas? Uh, my Christmas was wonderful. Um, my husband gave me really good gifts this year, so it was great. Um, we just had a really good time with our family, um, celebrating. The kids always have a great time, really. Christmas is for the kids, and so we go all out for our two boys and our niece and our nephew. So it was a wonderful time. Mm, it was. It was truly delightful. Uh, chill, Christmas is for children, as you as you mentioned. And so we're 
we're just happy. We're we're a happy bunch. Uh, we are reveling kind of still in the afterglow mm-hmm. of of the season. Uh, but we talk about missions, and we've been talking about missions, you know, for the past twelve Sabbaths. Uh, our quarter has led us through many, many meandering paths, and I thought it would be good for us as we celebrate kind of the last Sabbath of this year to just talk a little bit about where we are. Um, Obviously, these are the last days because these are the days that we're living in. What happens after this? Well, we don't know, and we don't know if uh, the last days will will be another hundred years or if God calls us home tomorrow. But uh, what are some of the things that you were really excited about as we did missions here at LOUC in 2023? I think two of the two big events that we had this year that we were really excited for as a church because we hadn't done before, at least not since I've been at UReach, and we were really excited about was our very first one that we got to do in July, which was our mission trip to Kenya. Mm-hmm. That was a real blessing. We got to meet um, a very fun group of people that went. Uh, the youngest was our son, but we had a couple of kids that were in their you know, early teens, and then we had some older um, members. But it was just really fun to be able to see this group of different people from different walks of life come together and um, have a great time. It was the first time that UReach had done that. We had taken a bunch like that um, overseas. It's a long trip. But that was a big blessing for us to be able to go over there and participate and and see what the needs are over there. And then um, the biggest one I would say, too, that we had right now, right before Thanksgiving was our Kings and Queens Mm -hmm. uh, Thanksgiving feast. And that was just, I mean, it was weeks after and we were still talking about it as a team, just how much of a blessing it was to see our church respond in different ways, whether it was volunteering or, and, you know, and coming out to serve or donating, bringing stuff. Um, The Pathfinders had collected coats. And so we had an abundance of coats that we were able to give out. Um, so it was just a really great uh, feast that we were able to have. We had showers, we had shoes, we had um, clothing, hygiene kits. We had our motorcycle ministries that was there offering prayer and literature. Mm. Uh, we had the city of San Bernardino offering flu shots and um Yeah, and we ended it all with a beautiful um, Thanksgiving feast. And it was just wonderful to be able to see them all sitting and our church members bringing the plates to them to the tables and serving them. We had a small group of Praxis there um, playing music and worship music. And just to see all of us singing together, worshiping together, it was a real blessing to see our church respond in mm. such a huge way for the community. <clears throat> it was it was something that we we talked about a lot. Now I know it was not something that went without a hitch. There were some complications right before 
but kind of tell us a little bit about just how all these different communities came together. Yeah, we had planned to have it at our thrift store and we were all set to go. Every Wednesday, we provide clothing and shoes to our unhoused population at the thrift store. Now, for those uh, people that are not, because we have a big audience that is not local, where is this uh, thrift store located? Thrift store is one of the departments that we have under UReach. And so all the proceeds that we get from the store go right back into um, different ministries. And one of them is unhoused population. And so that is right here at the entrance of our city. Um, If you've ever visited Loma Linda, you will see it. Now they've put a big sign right in front Mm -hmm. of us. But as soon as you exit the freeway and you enter what we know as Loma Linda, we have a thrift store right there on the corner of Anderson and uh, Redlands Boulevard. And so this is where we are at. And every Wednesday, we had been providing showers and um, clothing and shoes to our unhoused population. And we thought, well, maybe we should just kind of also do a meal for Thanksgiving because nobody will probably be taking care of them on that day. Um, A lot of the different places that usually serve them are just currently overcrowded, overpopulated, so they can't help everyone. So we thought we would have it at the thrift store. That unfortunately didn't work out. We had some complications with our city of Loma Linda, but um, a neighboring church right here, Crosswalk, was very kind enough to welcome us in, and we were able to shift everything with two days before the event. Mm. We were able to call all our vendors and all our volunteers and actually uh, some of my team went to the encampments because we had already told Mm -hmm. our unhoused clients that we would be at the thrift store. And they went to the um, encampments and started telling them, hey, we're moving. This is where we're going to be. This is a new location. Make sure you tell your friends. And, you know, at first we were with other churches and with Crosswalk was just a blessing. It was a blessing to, to be able to see two churches come together. Um, there were other churches there as well that were participating. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think what, what is so poignant about what you just said is this idea that at any time in history or whenever it is, that the church has moved, we, we truly have done better when we've moved uh, to create or foster cooperation instead of uh, silos. And one of the things that, that, I, that really strikes me as, as we think about Loma Linda and where we're located and the resources that God has placed at our disposal is that there is this narrative out there that says, Loma Linda is this big church. It's this wealthy church with unlimited resources. Now, you all know if you've been watching for a while that that is not the case. Um, But one of the things that that creates is it does create a a feeling where if we are there and in charge, it, it does kind of temper the participation of other communities because the feeling is Loma Linda will take care of it. Uh, once you had to move, 
it was beautiful because it wasn't it was no longer seen or viewed as a Loma Linda event. It was Correct. seen as a missional event where we were simply providing the expertise that you and your team had, uh, the facilities that another church has, uh, the connections that our senior pastor has through the university and such. So it was all these agencies that kind of came together. And the purpose was not to have in a quote unquote event, rather it was to promote a mission. Correct. And that was the goal from the very beginning. We wanted to make sure that it wasn't just something that we could walk away feeling good about, mm -hmm. but that we could come together and do God's work. Mm -hmm. And that's why we purposely named the event Kings and Queens, um, because we wanted to make sure that the unhoused population felt like we get to feel on Thanksgiving mm -hmm. or perhaps any other day when we get to be at home and have a warm, delicious cooked meal or have somebody serve us. Um, we wanted to be able to provide that. We wanted them to be able to feel um, a little bit of what we get to feel mm -hmm. every day when we are served by, you know, fast food places or restaurants or Anywhere we go, we get this treatment of you're a paying customer, so we're going to treat you as best as we can. Uh, I think that's something that every child of God should get mm -hmm. to experience. And we wanted to make sure that in this particular day with this event, that we that was the goal, that they would feel and leave feeling like they were loved and like they were just mm -hmm. one of us. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is the powerful theological connection between the practice of mission and the eschatology that us as Adventists are kind of bred into. And what I mean by that is we often think that the real key to surviving whatever future awaits this world has to do with our capacity to promote a gospel that often is mistaken with a bill of goods. So we're going to go and we're going to sell this to you. And we hope that you believe in it. What I find so powerful about uh, eschatology when it is understood through the lens of John uh, and his prophetic uh, book to the seven churches in Asia Minor is uh, how passive he is. Uh, it seems like he is merely a, an observer and, to what God is doing. And obviously, as an observer, your job is to record and to relay. But it seems like everything else is done by God. So mm -hmm. God is the one who comes. God is the one who settles uh, the issues of injustice and oppression and pain and suffering. God is the one who ultimately defeats uh, the false prophet and the beast. It's God that's God is ultimately in the Lamb uh, in Revelation. Those are the protagonists of the story. We are mere observers. And I think when it comes to eschatology, that should be our mission to be observers of what God is already doing. And then um, to recognize that while God's realm of activity is eschatology, 
all our realm of action is ethics. Mm -hmm. And so what, what moves, I think, the, the church is a deep, deep-seated commitment to ethics uh, while we wait, while we live in what, in what several theologians call this liminal space between the, that which is completed, the victory of God on Calvary, and the not yet, uh, the ultimate uh, redemption that, that awaits God's people. What I find then with what you're saying that, that uh, makes that connection is that these people, while, while they were being served, for one moment, uh, brief as it was, they stopped worrying about what is to come. And if you're unhoused, if you know anything about the unhoused population, obviously, there's a lot of uncertainty. Where are we going to sleep? What are we going to eat tomorrow? How do we keep safe? What are the trials and the problems that we are going to be called to, to uh, fix and to uh, work out during, uh, during this day? And yet for those hours, they, were, they weren't worried uh, everything was taken care of uh, for them. And I think that's the call that uh, the mission of the church is. Because that's how we feel, right, about our eschatology. We don't have to worry about anything, and everything is call, is taken care of. So the church then has this responsibility, this ethical responsibility to right. go into the world and say, you don't have to worry about anything. <clears throat> We've got it. We're, we're taking care of it. Correct. I mean, we, you know... We've received this beautiful gift that is the gospel, and we understand that, in essence, there's nothing we need to worry about, right? Because Christ came, mm -hmm. was born, he died, paid for our sins, we now have salvation. And we live with that peace of knowing that we are saved, mm -hmm. that we have this gift of salvation that Christ gave us, and and we have here, too, where it says we are kings and queens, mm -hmm. that when we get to heaven, we will achieve that royalty status of being the children of the king. Um, but a lot of people don't have that certainty. They don't have that peace and that reassurance because this world hasn't given mm -hmm. them glim glimpses of that. Mm -hmm. And... You know, we come to church every Sabbath dressed in our best because we want to feel as part of the kingdom when we come to church. And so for us, it was a way to be able to say, you are part of the kingdom. Mm. And while not always you will look like us or feel like us, for this brief moment, we want you to experience what it is to be a child mm. of the king. Um. You know, and, and what we do at UReach, I always tell my team, prayer and literature and Bible is important. And that is eventually something that we want to achieve with our clients. But we will not get there if we don't show Christ mm -hmm. by our actions first. Mm -hmm. And how does that happen? By clothing them, feeding them, taking care of their needs. That's how you will see Christ. And so for us, that's just a small way that we can give them the assurance that they are still loved, mm 
they're still seen and they're still children of Christ. That's that's beautifully said. I, I think that's why I feel the need always to temper uh, our desire. And it's, I think, a very healthy desire. I think it's a godly desire to go and share the message of the gospel. Uh, the lesson talks, for example, about uh, this famous introductory passage that John writes to his seven churches. And uh, the foci of that particular passage as he, as he starts introducing himself uh, to the churches is that, that verse uh, that is found in Revelation chapter 1, uh, 7. It says, look, he is coming in the clouds and every eye shall see him. Even those people who pierced him will see him and all the people of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. And it's this beautiful prayer about the restoration or the recognition of who God has always been and will always be. And it's the good news. It's mm -hmm. ultimately good news that Christ is coming back. But the problem is uh, that good news that Christ is coming back is something that we are waiting for. And in the interim, it's very difficult to hear that good news if there is so much uncertainty about what we're living in today. And so I, I remember just talking to some people in your team after this, this meal. And one of the things that kind of was the phrase that everybody uh, used was what was truly wonderful. And we talked about this in staff, uh, our senior pastor who believes deeply in this, in this idea of mission. He, um, he, he came back and just gave some glowing reports about what you all were doing. And both from him and from your team, what we heard was it was just so phenomenal that in the end, we didn't know who was a church member and who was a guest. Um, because what you all did was in the here and now, you saw it as your mission to restore people's humanity. And that, I think, is, is central to the gospel. It is as central to the gospel as this message that Jesus is coming soon. And uh, at the core of that message, uh, and I think at the core of the church, uh, missionally, should be a message of you have value. You are valued and we see you. Correct. That, um, that really was, you know, the feel of the whole um, meal. It really was, you know, um, once everybody was served, once we all sat down and partook from a meal together and everybody was singing and eating. I mean, there really was no way to distinguish who were volunteers, who were church members. Um, it was just a beautiful sight to the point where I remember Israel, my lead for um, Renew Ministries, and I kind of stepped back and we just tried taking it all in and I with tears in his eyes he said this was far better than we ever expected mm -hmm. um because really you think we're gonna do this they'll come our church members will serve them they'll leave blessed and that will be it but to be able to see our church members being blessed as well and our in-house population happy and just everybody becoming one people was far, 
greater of a blessing that we could have ever, ever expected. Um, and that truly is our mission, right? To, while we await the kingdom of heaven, to together in a community here present glimpses of what the kingdom of heaven will be like here on earth. Mm. Glimpses. And that's, that's all we get. Um, and, but that those glimpses uh, become the gospel. Right. Uh, we as a, as an Adventist faith community, uh, as most of you that are, that are within our community know, we as Adventists uh, hold firmly to this idea not only that God is coming soon, as is found in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, but that God is also uh, giving us this message, this central message for uh, this time. And we call it the end time. And I think it's appropriate to call it the end time because this is the time we're living in, as we said a few moments ago. And we've summarized uh, that message in this in this three angels uh, announcement or proclamation that is made in Revelation chapter 14. Now, the at the core of that message, and we'll maybe spend a couple moments uh, looking and maybe giving a review for that, but at the core of that message is the call for the restoration or the, rest, uh, the restitution of, of justice and the restoration uh, of people through the gospel. And we think about this gospel, uh, about the gospel as a story, and it is, it is a story, uh, but we think about it as a story that has been concluded. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a story that is ongoing. And so what, what I find phenomenal is now uh, John invites us to not only be present, uh, but to also participate in, in the message that is, that is the gospel. And I think the first way to do that, at least if you look at Revelation 14, is uh, through worship. Uh, worship <clears throat> is a, a key component to the way in which we, um, we proclaim the gospel. And worship can take many forms. And so I know for, for your team uh, to have a moment where there was no agenda, it was simply let us revel in what God has done. Uh, it was was powerful. It was a powerful proclamation of the gospel because ultimately that is our mission. Our mission is uh, to be embroiled in uh, restoring humanity to people. That is our ethical calling. And when that happens, then our mission is uh, to forego the temptation to take upon ourselves all that credit. And so to do what you did, which was worship, instead of patting yourself on the back and saying, what a great thing we've done, uh, you start singing. Uh, and, and that is worship. And that there, there's something really moving and transformational about uh, the gospel uh, in our ethics then leading to doxology. No, I mean, yeah, there, like I said, we didn't have worship as you would think we do here at church where we opened with prayer and we you know had a sermon and but to watch people learn about each other's walks of life and get to know each other and 
um, serve in such a different way. When I just remember, I kept walking through a lot of the stations that we had. One of them was the shoe station, and we had volunteers there, and they had requested um, chairs because they wanted the clients that were going to be coming to be able to sit so they could try on the shoes. Mm -hmm. And in one of them, I saw um, a young lady on her knees on the floor while the client was on the chair helping this gentleman put the shoes on. Mm -hmm. And she kept asking him, do these feel comfortable or would you like another pair? And just to, to observe that dynamic you know, and, and the eyes in this gentleman to think, wow, this is something I've never experienced mm -hmm. before. It just brought me back to that place of when you first get to know the love of Christ and you accept it and you think, wow, I've never known love like this mm -hmm. before. Just the worship of that moment for me um, was just something, again, that I would have never been able to to anticipate mm. yeah yeah well said it's it's i think it it encompasses this invitation that we are given uh through the message of the first angel right uh the first angel says worship but the reason and the rationale that is given for worship is that god is creator and what ultimately uh allows us to look at people in the eye and say the gospel means that you have you possess value is because you are a creature made in the image of the creator Correct. and that that creator uh who made in john's words uh the heavens and the earth and the seas and the springs of water as is found in revelation chapter 14 verse 7 that creator also fashioned those feet those overgrown nails and dirty, dirty feet that you are now called to touch. And in that sense, there is a really interesting paradox. It's the paradox of power by which the creator that fastens those feet then says, let me live out the gospel by kneeling in front of you and washing those feet. And in that, Mm -hmm. uh, at least in John's gospel, if you remember, that is, there is no uh, communion. There is no scene of the Last Supper. You have John saying, this is it. This is, this is communion. It's to uh, tie a towel around your waist and uh, sit down in front of a basin and wash feet. That is, that is communion. And that is within the, within the church and the structure of the church, what says worship more than the liturgy that is uh, communion? And so it's just, it's just funny that when we think of worship, often our minds go a prog programmatically and God's mind seems to say programs are great, but those programs should be birthed out of service. Yeah. I mean, we, like I said early on, we have this message of knowing that we are kings and queens, you know, daughters of, 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 um, of, of the king. But we often just revel in that and, mm. and take such honor and, and, you know, we feel so wonderful about that, that we often forget that 
not everybody feels that way. And so I think one of the things that um, revelation just kind of gears us towards is remembering that it's not just our calling, right? It's not just our way of worshiping, but what comes after um, that? How do we then allow other people to come to the table with mm. us to worship and to have communion communion with us so that they too can experience what the kingdom mm. of God will be like. Mm. And, and I don't, I think that's something often that we are just so happy and overjoyed to understand and to have that we then forget what comes after, mm. right? How do we invite other people to the table? How do we flatten that curve so that, we can all come to Christ. Mm. And that's the mission. Now, so the, the message sounds beautiful, but when, when it's lived out in the realm of flesh and blood that we all are called to inhabit, that message becomes complicated because relational dynamics are driven by our differences. Mm. Uh, so we, we have differences of age, culture, gender, uh, political affiliation, ideology, religion, uh, whatever you want, whatever you want to focus on. If you get enough people together, uh, you ultimately will will end up kind of gathering and grouping based on similarities. And once you do that, then obviously the differences become highlighted, and that's what's going to drive the the relational dynamic. That's often. Our, our differences often are what precludes us from gathering at this table. I think part of the gospel, uh, and again, you don't do it with flowery words um, or with, you know, these long uh, soliloquies. The way you do it is you simply live it out. Part of the gospel is to say a new there is a new world order, one in which differences dissipate. And that's the message, by the way, of the second angel. Now, we talk a lot about the message that the angel will speak and the gospel will be proclaimed and we're called back to worship God. And we make these, these links, and I think they're appropriate links to make, between Revelation and creation and the Sabbath. And then we say, oh, fallen, fallen is Babylon. And we say that's, that's ultimately then the proclamation, right? But what is Babylon if not a system that is driven by differences. Mm -hmm. The word itself, you know, Babylon means confusion. It is the it is a kind of an echo of the first story where relational dynamics were highlighted and were created based on the differences. That's what Babel, that's what the story of the Tower of Babel is, right? And so part of the gospel is to come together, and part of the mission of the church is to say, fallen, fallen is this old system, this old structure, this old belief system that says that relational dynamics need to be driven by the differences that we have. I mean, and I see that every day. A lot of um, a lot of the people that sometimes volunteer for us have certain expectations of what it is they're going to encounter. And then they actually get to the working field and they realize that it's nothing of what they thought mm -hmm. um and again i mean when we went to kenya it, it was that way we had a concept of what it was we were going to be up against and then we were there and we were like oh 
these people, they're different, but they're the same, mm -hmm. right? Um, when we had the Kings and Queens feast, it was, oh, it's different, but at the same time, we are the same. Mm -hmm. We all want to feel loved and cared and seen. Uh, we all want that. And so while we might differ as to why we ended up there, how we ended up there, um, how to go about doing it, what connects us is, you know what? You just want it to be seen mm. and you just want it to be given a little bit of time. And I know what that feels like. And so let us join together in that that unites us. And it, I think that if as a church, we could do that more often so that we could keep this gospel as the first and foremost priority rather than what we make it about sometimes, right? Um, I just imagine how much more we could do. You know, for, for what I do in my work, I, um, I'm not in front of the cameras often. I, I don't get to share with people the word in the way that you do. I, I really just get to be with people more often. And so a lot of the times I do have to confront that, no, that's not how we do things. This is the way we're, well, yes, that's a good idea. But foremost, I get to see how people from different walks of life can end up in one space. And the only thing that unites them is the belief that through our works, people will see Jesus. Mm. And for me, that's, you know, that's a true blessing that every day I get to just be out in the mission field, as you can say, and, and end my day saying, okay, today I worked with these people and I can pray and I can hope that at least one of those people that I worked with saw Jesus Christ. Mm. So I think what we're doing is we're creating a new paradigm um, because in this paradigm we're saying, hey, worship is whatever restores uh, the image that people have, that humanity that we've been talking. Worship is the act of restoring people's humanity. Worship is the act of allowing people to rediscover that they are bearers of the image of God. Evangelism is the proclamation that the church makes that the systems that focuses on differences, those systems will ultimately fall. Because as you said, at the core, we are, we are the same. Which leads us then to the third prong. So mm -hmm. we have the act of worship, we have the act of evangelism, the act of proclamation of the church. And then we have salvation. So I want to get your thoughts um, about what uh, about what what we do from from that perspective with the third angel's message. Uh, so we'll start with verse five nine. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, "If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives the mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of His wrath. They will be tormented for burning sulfur." in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest 
uh, day or night for those who worship the beast and its image, or for anyone who receives the beast of it or its name. This calls for patience and endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Hmm. That's, that's a lot to process. That is a lot, isn't it? <laughs> that's a lot. That's a mouthful. Yeah, I mean, to think about, you know, God's fury and... And I think that's why this is so daunting to so many people often, right? Because we just think of God as a God of love, mm-hmm. not a God of anger. Mm-hmm. And and then we have here the angel saying, you know, that God's fury is going to pour um, mm-hmm. and that we're going to experience his wrath and the burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels. And you just think, oh, my Lord, like, yeah. it's not going to be pretty for the people that have not decided to follow Christ. But again, I think rather than focusing on the fury, Uh I think it should be a call to mission of how can we then, if we love our neighbor, how can we then try to prevent Mm. this from happening Mm. to the people that are our neighbors? And I think that's what's what's so helpful because in your position, you're always you're always asking about the practical, and that's why I wanna I wanted to get your opinion first, because what I do, in my area, is I'll take a passage like this, and I'll say, well, there's something uh, that challenges your equilibrium, so we need to delve a little deeper. And I do that for me because I have to read scripture in a way in which it may, it makes sense. And some of you out there uh, have that. But most people just out there that need us, they're not preoccupied about uh, about the the ins and outs of understanding this text fully. What they actually care about is, hey, can you see me? Um, do I have value? So um, we got the practical. Let's delve in and, and understand what the text actually means. So first thing that I want to point you to, Lynn, and I'm, I'm, we're doing this in real time in the next five minutes, is uh, that can you read the uh, verse nine again for us? A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast, and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand. Okay, stop. Uh, how does, uh, do, you, do you remember uh, this idea of conditional clauses, I hope, in, in Greek? Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that verse, uh, when the angel is actually talking, the message of the third angel begins with a conditional clause. And where is the conditional clause? Well, it's right there, right? If. So everything that is to follow is contingent on a if. Now, what is what is the if contingent on? If anyone does what? Worships the beast. And receives what? The mark. On where? Their forehead and their hand. Okay, great. So if you've been paying attention to Revelation, you know that this mark on the forehead and on their hand means that your mind, your thoughts and your actions are beastly driven. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, and we know that the beast uh, rules through oppression, through injustice, and through violence. By the way, never in the book of Revelation will you find God using violence. Never. It doesn't happen. So just have that in the back of your mind. So your mind and your, your thoughts and your actions driven by driven to imitate the beast and also uh, belonging, right? We know that in the uh, Roman culture, to, to be marked on the forehead or on the hand was something they did to slaves in order to uh, identify their who their owner was. So if your mind uh, and your if your thoughts and your actions align with the beast, guess what? You belong to the beast. Now, um, what I find fascinating is that uh, then, so it's first off, it's an it's a conditional clause that says if you choose to belong to the beast, this is what's going to happen. Now, throughout the book of Revelation, God never uses violence, and so if uh, I find really what 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 is problematic is this verse ten, right? They too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been pulled. Uh, poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. Well, it, the beast, the, by the way, if you read Revelation, it is the beast who, who has wrath. It is the beast who shows fury. And so is what John is saying that the only difference between God and the beast is that God has a greater capacity to be angry? Because it seems like that's what the text is saying. But there's something there that's that, that doesn't sit well, right? So, what if what John is saying is, if you belong to the beast, if you choose to continue living and dwelling in this world of Babylon that is highlighted by, their different, by its differences, if for you worship is uh, a mean or a tool to oppress and to divide and separate people, if that's who you are, then God, then this message of the, of a lamb who who uh, rules through peace, of a lamb who was slain, and through his meekness and weak, and quote unquote weakness, you see his strength of a gospel that says the last shall be the first, and those who mourn will be comforted. If you believe in the beast and you operate in this way, the paradox of the gospel is going to miss you. And if that's the case, you are going to be condemned to a world in which the beast will turn on the beast's followers. The false prophet and the Antichrist will turn on its, on its followers because that's what oppression does. And so it's not that God is going to punish you. Um, we understand that this is hyperbolic image imagery. Uh, otherwise, verse 11 makes absolutely no sense, right? Um, but it's all conditional on your capacity to choose to believe in a kingdom that is divided, in a kingdom that is oppressive, in a kingdom that focuses on differences. If that's what you uh, do, uh, and if you decide to live by the sword, then because you live in the beast realm, you will die by the sword. And it says, right, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commandments and remain faithful mm -hmm. to Jesus. And that is that is what, what then the church is called. It's called to endure. It's called um, to worship. And worship is an act of service. It is called, and it's an act of restoring people's uh, 
sense of their uh, reality as children of God. It is evangelism in the sense that we go and we proclaim loudly that Babylon is fallen. And, yeah. and it's also this commitment then to endurance and tell people, hey, wherever you are, whoever you are, if you continue down the path of the beast, the beast will destroy you. The beast will turn, those things that you value will turn against you. Yes. So we've got about a minute and a half left. Tell us very quickly as we as we close, what are you excited about for 2024? <laughs> um, we have a lot of projects in store for you, Reach. We're excited um, about where God will lead us. We are hoping to expand, restructure, um, and be able to provide more opportunities in which our church can serve. Um, but also one of the, the biggest things we are working on is ways in which not just this church can serve, but how as a people of God, as a church of God, we can come together and serve. And that is one of the things that I'm most excited about for 2024 is how can us, Loma Linda University Church, reach out to other churches, to other entities to say, as a people of God, let's come together and do the Lord's work. Mm, that's fantastic. How do we unite instead of divide? Because that's what the gospel has called us to do. Friends, I am just excited for another year. Next time we see you, it'll be 2024. We hope that whatever uh, New Year resolutions you are planning on making will be uh, you'll still be on track with by the next time we meet. If not, it's okay. There's grace here. <laughs> Uh, but we just we hope that uh, 2023 has been blessed. If not, we hope that 2024 will be better. So let's pray. God, thank you for this year. Thank you for worship, which is an act of service, because through it, you invite us to restore people's dignity and humanity. Thank you for the invitation to realize that the systems that uh, divide Will soon they will someday fall, and Lord, as we go out into the world, we pray that we can proclaim that people who live under the system of the beast, that system of oppression and injustice, will ultimately have those systems turn against them. For the rest of these things, we thank you as we look forward to next year. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of the year and a happy Sabbath. Thank you.